I need to get it on this list because when I'm not at the house, this is the one I go by. Um, we, we thank God for, could have been worse. Yeah, 20 foot on the concrete. Um, I know from experience that, that landing, that sudden stop is the problem. The fall's not bad, but that sudden stop, man, it just don't work well. <laughs> Any more prayer requests? Let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, thank you for being so incredibly good. God, thank you for loving us in spite of us, God. Lord, thank you. While we were yet sinners, Lord Jesus, you climbed up on that old rugged cross for our behalf. God, I thank you, Father. I look forward to the day when you take us by the hand and you lead us through the promised land. God, it is indeed a promise. It is indeed the land of hope, the land of promise, a place that we look so forward to to be in. But God, right now, you've given us a work to do. God, you've given us a, a reason to be here, Father. You've You've given us a salvation to rejoice about, to talk about, to tell about. You've given us a hope to look forward to. But, God, you've given us a mission to pray. You've said that men ought always to pray. You've told us the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, God. You've told us consistently to pray. You've told us to pray for the sick, that the prayer of faith might heal the sick, God. So we pray now, Father, for these on this list. God, I ask you, would you touch each one? Will you lay your hand upon them? Father, we know that you could think a thought from heaven and heal every need, God. But... Lord, I thank you for doctors, for medicine, for the many things that you've given us, God, things that you use, Father. And, Lord, how you choose to heal them makes no difference to us, Father. We lift them up to you according to your word as a prayer request, God, and ask you to touch them, Father. I pray you'd meet with us tonight, God. I pray that everything we do would be pleasing to you in this place and next door, God. I thank you for the 13 teenage souls that have been saved in the past two nights. God, I thank you for your spirit that's been moving there in that building. I pray you continue to move there tonight, God, do a mighty work. I pray that more souls would be saved, that lives would be changed. I pray you'd call some teenagers up, Lord, in that building right there tonight. May you call preachers and ministers and missionaries out of that, God. And Lord, even right here in this building, may you put us to work, God. May you give us a, a mission field in our own communities, in our own work site, God. Will you help us, Father? We just want to be pleasing to you, Lord. We love you, but we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. So Acts chapter 28, last week we left off the ship that was transporting the Apostle Paul to Rome, had just landed on the island of, of Patoli. And we were in verse 14 where he found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went towards Rome. So, so we, once again we see the centurion that is carrying the prisoners. We see his kindness towards the Apostle Paul. We see his confidence as a Paul in, in Paul as a man that can be trusted. This, this centurion, this is, this is a Roman soldier. This is a guy that would typically be a very hard man. And he has one specific order, and that is to deliver these prisoners to Rome. That is his job. You take all these prisoners, and you understand, all these prisoners aren't apostles of Jesus Christ. They are prisoners for a reason. They've got some hard case prisoners there. Paul just happens to be one of the prisoners mixed in, and they're, they're handed over to him with one mission to, to get them to Rome. And so Paul is not just another prisoner. He's, he's a Hebrew at that. So the Roman has every reason to really not care much for him. Uh, you know, Paul has no special position in the eyes of man. He has no, no special calling in the eyes of man. But it's Christ in him that makes a difference. 
It is Christ living in him and Christ living through him that makes a difference. This Roman centurion knows that there's something. Everybody around Paul can sense and know that there's something different about him, including this, this centurion. You think about the enormity of the situation in this centurion. Paul is a prisoner. The centurion is responsible for the prisoners with his life. If Paul escapes, the centurion dies. It's, it's that simple. If he allows prisoners to escape, if the guards allow them to escape, they're responsible for a prisoner with their life. Pretty tall order, right? I, I'd say they were pretty adamant about keeping up with, with prisoners, but they are approaching the outskirts of Rome. This is the last port that they will pull into. Before pulling into the port, we'll see in the next verse, that will take them into Rome. If a prisoner is ever going to escape, it's going to be now, right? you got to know once you get to Rome and get around all those Roman soldiers and Roman prisons, you ain't getting out. And they don't care if you're alive or dead. So if you try to get out, they're going to kill you. So if there's ever going to be a time to try and escape, it's going to be right now. So this would be Paul's last chance to escape if he was going to try to. Yet Christ in Paul has made such a difference. His character, his personality has made such a difference that the centurion allows him to basically go free for seven days. He allows him to go visit with the church, to go visit with the Christians and not, not hold any strings to him. See, that is the kind of difference that our life ought to make in the lives of those around us. We ought to have that kind of Christ, that kind of presence. We ought to be that kind of trustworthy. We ought to be so trustworthy that even the non-Christian would trust us with their lives. That's what the centurion did. He trusted Paul literally with his life. He understood what was at stake should Paul flee. Should Paul get with these church members and they hide him underground somewhere. He, he literally trusted him with his life. We should be so trustworthy that even the lost world, even those out there that aren't saved, the non-Christians would place their bet on our word against anybody else's because they've never seen our word fail. We need, if we're going to be Christ in us, we need to be that kind of character. We need to be that kind of people, that, that kind of certainty. So, so they're there at Patoli. You know, we, we can only imagine the joy taking place there. I mean, the infamous Apostle Paul is, is there. They're, they're gathered with him, and the, the church is coming. They get to, to sit down with him and, and fellowship with him and have meals with him and listen to the stories. I'm sure Luke probably threw some stories in as well about all the things that they've seen God do and all the mighty miracles and, and the way God has blessed them. Can, can you even begin to imagine the presence of the Holy Spirit that must have been on the Apostle Paul's life? I mean, everybody knows somebody, right? You, you know that one, that, that one that it's like when they pray, heaven stops. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody knows somebody. It's being around them. You feel the Spirit of God just being around them. There, there is a presence. Can you imagine what the presence around the Apostle Paul must have been like? To, to, to be living that close of a life to God, walking that close with, with the Spirit of God. And, and you, you got to look at both sides of this you got to look at how much God strengthened that church there on that island by letting the Apostle Paul be there with them for seven days. But this wasn't just about them. This was about strengthening the Apostle Paul. 
Paul got seven days to stop and fellowship with the church, fellowship with the brethren, to just be there and, and to be strengthened, to, to be encouraged to. So Paul ministered to, but Paul was ministered to. So remember we looked at it last week about serving God is not without storms. Serving God doesn't mean that we're never going to go through trials and troubles and, 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 and different situations, but God. That, that's kind of what we looked at. You go through some problems, but God will always give us what we need when we need it. Even in a storm, even in a trial, even in the midst of a situation, God will strengthen us when we need strength. God will encourage us when we need encouragement. God will sustain us when we need to be held up. God will hold us up when we can't stand up. God, God will always carry us through no matter what he allows so serving God may put us in some situation sometimes it may be to build our faith sometimes it may be to change our character sometimes it may simply be for somebody else around us to see Christ in us because they'll see Christ in you when you hold your head up walking in a storm way anybody can hold their head up walking through a sunny day so we really don't know why we go through them sometimes but we do know this if it comes in our life it has to come across the desk of God God has everything on us, and nothing can happen in our lives that, that does not come past God. So we looked at the fact that, that God carries us through some things. He took Paul over to that island there where the Phoenician people were, the island of Melita or the island of Malta. It's called both here in the text. But, but he gave him three months of joy, three months of healing the sick. Three months of telling a people who has never heard the gospel about Jesus Christ and seeing people come to Christ as their Lord and Savior. And here in this final port on his journey to Rome, he gives him seven days to fellowship with the Christians. And I'm not, I'm not going to get into a number study right here, but those are pretty significant numbers. There's a reason he gave him three months over there at the island of that place called the Refuge. Remember the island of that? The place is called the Refuge. The place where they crashed was called the bosom, and God crashed him into the bosom of the Refuge, gave him three months. The number three is resurrection. I don't doubt that he didn't resurrect some things in Paul. Paul's been through a lot. They've been through the storm. They've been through some stuff. But, but then you give him seven days here at Patoli. That is the number of completion and perfection. And God is completing some things in the Apostle Paul. He is completing some building up as he's sending him on his way to Rome. And there in verse number 15 it says, from thence when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Apiforum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. This would be the equivalence of basically a triumphal entry. Remember when Jesus came into the streets of Jerusalem on that little donkey which had never been ridden before and people put their clothes in the street and put down palm branches? That is an entrance for a king. And they put it down. That was the, the triumphal entry for Jesus Christ coming into Jerusalem. That, that is the kind of, of entry that we see right here for the Apostle Paul. It, it says that, that people have come to, to Appy Forum. That, that city, uh, it, it varies. You look at some different maps. But it's somewhere in the high 40s to mid 50 miles away from Rome. And the, and the church at Rome has heard that Paul is coming. And so they've come out to there to, 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 to gather around. And it shows us where on the map, if you look, I looked at some pictures and stuff, the remnants of the city it is still there. It's on the edge of what's called the Pontine Marshes. So there's still some, some fragments and things around. You've been there? Shaking your head. I ain't been there. 
there's fragments of the city. There's some pictures. I was looking at some stuff today and studying things that's still there. And, and it's built along that, that Appian Way, that highway that, that went along the main road from, from Rome to Kapow, I think is how they say that. So you got that main highway and you got the cities there. And it's called the Forum. It's a marketplace. It's where people would have stopped to get refreshed and get drinks and get this very popular location. Um, about eight miles down the road is a place called the Three Taverns. I couldn't find there. Are there any remnants there? It didn't show anything on it when I was studying. Just kind of marched where it's at. The ruins are there. So, and and it's, it's about eight miles according to what I can see on the maps looking from it. So people have come to here. That's just another very popular spot where people come to, to get refreshed. But the, the Christians at Rome have heard that the Apostle Paul is coming. You know, the Apostle Paul is the one that wrote the book of what we call Romans. It's not just the book of Romans. It was the letter to the church at Rome that the Apostle Paul wrote about three years ago from his third trip over to Corinth. He wrote a letter from Corinth to the church at Rome. And, and so they, there's a lot of excitement about the Apostle Paul coming. The book of, the book of Romans, or what we call the book of Romans, that's, that's Paul's first epistle. That, that's his first letter. It is considered to be the most complete exposition in all of the New Testament of the truths of Christianity. The theme of the letter is the gospel of God. Contains the widest designation possible of the redemptive truth. It is profitable for the entire world because it contains no partiality, no separation between the Jew and the Gentile world. So, so th this letter would have made a huge difference to the Christians at Rome, just like it does to the Christians of LaGrange. Romans is a very important book. Ro Romans is a key figure in all of, all of the Word of God. It, it is a central figure in the New Testament. It has incredible writing. So this would have made a huge difference. And the man who wrote this letter to the church at Rome is on his way to Rome. They've heard about it, so there's, there's, there's this great anticipation of his coming. They have walked 50 miles to come up here to, to create this, this celebration. One of the reasons I was studying cities, brother, and looking at ruins and remains and those things, I, I was looking at what celebrations look like because used to, when Rome would go off to war, a lot of times they'd have to go this path to go and get on ships and they'd go to war to different places. They'd go conquer other lands. They'd go conquer other places. You know, Rome, Rome was, was the capital of the world, basically. They, they were the world power in that day and so they would have to sometimes take all soldiers get on ships and they go fight battles and they come back and there'd be these 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 great welcome homes to the king but but historians say there was never a welcome for one king equivalent to what Paul got right here there, there was never a, a, a welcome equivalent to, to any of the heroes of war that traveled this highway. I, I read a quote that said, Nobody has ever been given a welcome even close to the reception given to God's hero in the faith. Coming to Rome, the imperial city, to stand before Nero himself to present and to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the church was just like the Apostle Paul. They were not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
They were not ashamed of the fact that Paul was a prisoner. They were not ashamed of the fact that he was in chains. Made no difference to them. They came out to stake their claim as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that, that when Paul saw them gathered, when Paul saw this, this, this gathering of Christians along the highway and this, and this huge celebration, it says that he thanked God and he took courage. See how God continues to strengthen his servant even in the face of what looks like adversity coming in as a prisoner. When Paul wrote his letter to him, chapter 9, or verse number 9 of the first chapter, Paul said, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayer. Now he's writing to this church. He's writing to these Christians at Rome. He's writing to the ones that are coming out. He says, making requests if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God unto you. He's looking for a prosperous journey. He's praying. He's asking God to get him to Rome. And he never dreamed he was going as a prisoner. He never dreamed he was going to be beat up in Jerusalem and arrested, held at Caesarea for three years as a prisoner, involved in a shipwreck, lead a bunch of Phoenician people to the Lord over at Melita, and, and then go. But he says, I'm praying that God would allow me to come to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that ye may be established. That is, that I may be, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. In verse number 23 of chapter 15, he wrote to him, he said, I have a great desire, I've had a great desire for many years to come to you. In verse number 32 and 33 of chapter 15, and this is basically the conclusion of the letter. Chapter 16 is kind of a salutation. But he says that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, that I may be with you refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. It says that Paul was thankful. Paul was grateful to God. He's finally made it Rome. And, and, and now the, the object of his desire, which was to get to Rome, is finally being granted to him. He doesn't care that he's in bonds. He doesn't care that he's a prisoner. He doesn't care that it's in chains. God got him to Rome. He is fixing to fellowship with, with the church at Rome. And the text says that he was thankful he was encouraged because the brethren came out to see him you know there ain't nothing quite like the fellowship of the brethren there's just not there's nothing quite like gathering with brothers and sisters in christ that just want to be together now i i'm 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 a firm believer and i don't want to run this rabbit i don't have time running anyway but the devil the devil plants a lot of people in churches the devil don't have to look out in the world to stir things up in the church. He's got a lot of loose-lipped Nellies in the, in the house. He's, he's got a lot of backstabbers in the house. He, he, the, the Word of God says that he that soweth discord, that, that, that's an abomination. So the devil wants to stir that up because the devil understands the unity of the fellowship. The devil understands the oneness of Christ and a group of people and the power of God. When we pull together and stay together, we encourage one another. And that's what you see here with the Apostle Paul. He is in, encouraged because the Christians are coming together. So, so God may be using Paul's life for his glory. And Paul may be going through some trials in his life. But God is rewarding him, strengthening him, encouraging him all along the way. God may let you go through some stuff as he uses you, but he'll never let you get run down. 
He'll always send encouragement. Verse 16, I don't know, I figure this is probably a, a bittersweet experience for the centurion because when he come to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with the soldier that kept him. Think about the, the centurion as he came into Rome. This is a high-ranking Roman official. He's come into Rome before. He's probably come in from war before. He's probably come into some heroes' welcome with some soldiers before. He ain't never seen nothing like this. He's probably seen the king come back from war before, and he ain't never seen nothing like this. He sees the church, the bride of Christ, the brothers and sisters of the Apostle Paul turn out with this welcome, with this celebration. I wonder what kind of effect that has on him. But finally, after this long voyage and all this, and after the shipwrecks and all they've been through, he finally gets there and he delivers all of the prisoners to Rome. But in doing so, he now has to part ways with the Apostle Paul. Now, we, we've seen there ain't no way that being around Paul hadn't made a difference in his life. We, we, we've seen a, a lot of changes just in him. I wonder, and, and I looked, I, I, I read some stuff from others to see if somebody else might have. I, I'm, I'm not smart enough to know. And I know there's a lot of things that I don't know, so I was afraid I might be overlooking it. But I, I tried reading some different scholars and some commentaries. And best as, best as I can tell from reading after some people a whole lot smarter than me, they don't see anywhere either where it tells us whether or not that centurion was ever saved. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? I, it makes me a little bit pessimistic on the one hand because I'm thinking if he got saved, surely Luke would have told us that, wouldn't he? Yeah, you would think so. I mean, it just, just seemed like I had something to say. But by the same token, I, I'm, I'm a little optimistic on the other side because how else could he have trusted Paul enough to let him go for seven days? So, so he either had to see Christ in him and see something trustworthy or he had to have trusted what Paul preached. Now, I, I don't know. It doesn't tell us, but it's certainly a, a curiosity. One thing's for sure, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, on that day we're going to know. Because if he's there, we're going to know him and he's going to know us. But we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. So we're, we're going to know the answer on, on that day. But, but, but one, one thing that I was thinking, whether he did or didn't, there's probably never been anybody that had a better opportunity to. There's probably never been many folks that had a better witness lived out right there in front of them. To have seen Paul's gentleness when he told them, look, guys, we don't need to sell. And they set sell anyway, and they wind up in a typhoon before they even get to the next island. And, and they're 14 days out there, and, and, they see, and he sees Paul's wisdom and, and how Paul tells them that the ship's going to crash, but nobody's going to die. And all that came to pass. you got to know you're getting some... Some information from a higher source when you're in a typhoon, you're in that kind of storm, and you can make a prophecy in the middle of the night that we're going to crash into an island, the ship's going to be destroyed, everything's going to be lost, but nobody's going to die. And it happens exactly like that. To, to have seen the Apostle Paul unaffected by the viper that latched onto his arm, the poisonous snake, had no power over him. Then the people decided, hey, Paul must be a god. Because the snake had no power. But Paul says, oh, no, I'm not a god. Let me tell you about God. Let me tell you about the one true God. You guys got all your paganist gods. You got all your little G gods. You got all your idols and your false beliefs. 
Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. I wonder what it meant to him to see somebody that, that honestly, he could have taken a lot of fame right then. He, he could have taken a lot of popularity. He said, oh, no, no. Is that real thunder? I saw the lights blink. Y'all know we're a city on a hill, right? I should have known when the lights blinked it was something. That's all right. That's, that's all right. It's all good. I, just, I thought maybe it was a team doing something over there. You never know. They've been rocking that house the last two nights. Any, anyway, we're not on the ship. We're not going to crash into Melita. So, 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 so Paul, Paul, Paul's life, Paul's disposition, the, the centurion had to see that. When they brought all manner of sick, remember when he went to the governor's house, the governor of the island, the head of the island, and his father was sick and he healed him of that fever, that flux that he had, and they brought all manner of sick, and it was like Jesus in Luke chapter 4 when they brought all manner of sick and he healed everybody that was sick. The centurion saw all that. It had to have made a difference in his life. There is no denying that there is something different about Paul. That's all we can do with our lives. Live it in front of people and let them see it for themselves. Our words are pointless if our life don't live it. And our words are unnecessary if we do live it. They can't deny what they see. So it's, imp it's important that, that we live it. They have to make their choice. But it's up to us to live it that they see a different. We ought to be set, set apart. Come out from among them and be a separate, saith the Lord. Sinners saved by grace. Worst sinners among us. Worthy of hell. God could send me to hell right now and be just in doing so. He owes me nothing. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that will wash away sins. We're no different than them, but we are saved by grace. And if they don't see that we have a joy that they don't have, why do they want what we got? They, they need to see some stuff in us. So the prisoners, they're, they're handed over. And we see that Paul is suffered to, to dwell by himself, is what it says, with the soldier that kept him. I'm sure his Roman citizenship comes into play here somewhat. But the fact that they remember when they sent him off, y'all go a few weeks back in our study, they have no charges against him. He hasn't done anything wrong, and he has a born Roman citizenship, and they've imprisoned him for nothing. So that probably has something to do with it. But, but so Paul is basically, he's allowed to stay in a non-prison environment. He's kind of in house arrest, but he has a guard with him all the time. Can you imagine the difference? I mean, this, this takes place for more than two years. Can you imagine the difference Apostle Paul probably made in the Roman army? Can you imagine the difference the Apostle Paul probably made in some lives? I mean, each day is a new opportunity. Each day it's another guard, somebody new, somebody come. Maybe it's a guard that's been there before, maybe it's a guard that hasn't. But every day there's an opportunity one-on-one, -on -one, Apostle Paul and a guard. Every day a one-on-one -on -one opportunity to reach somebody with the gospel. That's our life. That's our life. Every day. It's just another opportunity to reach one. We don't have to reach the world. We just have to reach the one standing in front of us. We, we, don't, we don't need to be famous. We just need to make Jesus famous to the one that we're talking to at the moment. You know the, the song, if each one reach one, right? I was thinking about that this week and the each one reach one and kind of looking at stuff that would make a really good message. But, you know, if we just each one reached one, and we did that for one week. Well, if we reached one, and then the next day we reached one, and the one we reached reached one. And, and you said for one week, at the end of a week, that is 28 new Christians in one week. 
But if you did that for one month and each one reached one, it's 496 names added to the roll. Now, if 100 of us did each one reach one for one month, that's 49,600 names added to the Lamb's Book of Life. 49,600 if 100 people, each one, reach one a day. We don't have to try to reach the world. If we just reach the one that Jesus puts before us at, at that moment, we make a difference. So God sent Paul to the island of refuge. He sent him there to strengthen him. He sent him to Pertoli to, to refresh him. He walked him down the, this Appian Highway to encourage him. And now he's got him chained to some guards to use him. See, no, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, the person in front of us is our mission. See, we, I don't have time to keep running rabbits, so they need to quit running off across my trail and quit thinking of them. I, I don't have time to run rabbits. I, I want to stay. Yeah. I'm going to run it anyway. You know the old saying, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush? If we just focus on the one that God puts right here, just focus on it. So many ministries start and fail because they think they have to start so big. They, they think, oh, we're going to do this right here, and we have a thousand people come. Well, glory to God, you might, you might not. What if two come? But we're going to put a lot of work. We're going to put a lot of prayer. We're going to put a lot of money. You ain't the first. You put the ministry out, God sends who he will. Ministries fail because they start out, they got to be big. That means it's got to be popular. It's got to be something big. It's got to be something that makes the news. Well, it don't make the news. Well, it don't make the news when thousands get saved. But it sure don't when one gets saved. But I tell you what it does do. It causes all of heaven to rejoice. There's rejoicing in heaven. One sinner comes to repentance. So all we got to do is meet the one in front of us, and heaven rejoices. And for all of eternity, we gained a brother or sister in Christ. Things don't have to start out big. We just have to let God use us. Verse number 17, we got a little bit more time. Paul, Paul never gives up on his Jewish brothers. Paul, Paul never quits. I know he sent to the Gentiles, and, and he went to Asia, and all that we saw. It says in verse 17, let me read a few verses right here. It came to pass after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or the customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me would have let me go, because there's no cause of death in me. But the Jews spake against it, and I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar. Not that I had aught to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you, to see you and to speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Paul loves Israel. Paul loves Israel. The Jews, it is his people. Romans chapter 9, you see the heart of the Apostle Paul for the Jewish people. He says in verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing witness in me in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He said, I would rather me be accursed. I wish that I myself could be accursed for my kinsmen. Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. If you're reading the Bible through in the year with us right now, you're reading this right now. 
You read this yesterday, you're going to read this today, you're going to read this tomorrow. This is exactly where we are. Paul devoted three chapters to the Jews and to the Gospels. Now, the persistent rejection of Christ is heartbreaking to the Apostle Paul. He's not mad at them because they've rejected him. He's not vengeful against them because they've beaten him and arrested him. He's heartbroken because he knows that Jesus Christ said, we're in the same boat. It's not you they rejected. It's the one that sent you. It's not you that rejected. Jesus said, I'm the one that rejected. I'm the one that sent you. It's it's not you. Paul knows that, but Paul also knows the consequences of that. And he's heartbroken because he understands what they're going to suffer. See, that's one of, maybe one of the failures in the church today. We're we're not brokenhearted enough by the condition of lost people. We're not brokenhearted enough that there's people riding up down that road on the way to hell and we're doing nothing about it. We're not heartbroken enough that, that people are lost and separated. They're in the same spot for of such for some of ye. They are exactly where we were. The only difference between us and them is the blood. All sinners, all guilty. We're just forgiven. Sins and race. We're just, we're just not heartbroken enough. People go, oh, well, everybody's got to make their own choice. That's true, but they don't have to make a choice unless you put the choice in front of them. There's no choice to be made unless we tell them about the choice and, and, we, and we give them the decision. We did, 2001, we did a study through the book of Romans, just like what we're finishing up now. We've been doing Acts for about a year and a half. But in chapter 9, Paul discusses the dealings with, with the Jews, with God's dealing with the Jews in the past. He explains God's sovereignty and how the Jews have always been a rebellious people all throughout the Old Testament. That's one thing. If y'all noticed that in the Old Testament, I mean, I'm like, good night, won't y'all ever learn anything? They're as hard-headed as Americans are. And, and so he talks about how they're such a rebellious people, but yet there has always been a remnant. God has never been without a people. There has always been a remnant to tell the truth, to pray, to, to, to study. And, and so there, there's always been that, that faithful few that held on to the promises of God. In chapter 10, he, he discusses God's present dealing with the Jews and with all of mankind. He talks about how salvation is the key. And we all come to God the same way. Whether Jew or Gentile makes no difference. We come through Jesus Christ or we don't come at all. Chapter 11, he deals with God's promises that he made to Israel in the future. Can, can I tell you that God's promises are true and faithful? God's promises will be kept. The, the promises that God made to Abraham and David are not broken. We are living in what is called the postponed kingdom. God didn't forget his promises. God, as a matter of fact, Jesus summed it up like this in John chapter 10, verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know, know I the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Anybody hear that? He's talking to the Jews. He is addressing the Jews right here in this statement. And he said, other sheep, thank God, all the Gentiles say, thank you, Jesus. There are other sheep which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice. And they shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. God has not canceled his promises. And God hasn't broken his promises. Anybody, it's 
I, I'm going to take a couple of them. They're not going to be through for a while anyway. That's all right, right? They're going to keep up with your kids. Anybody need just a minute of encouragement? On Monday night, Mark Pritchett, he talked about how everybody was usable in the hand of God and, and nobody was without a purpose and, and nobody was disqualified. And, and it went really good with the last two Sunday morning messages. It's kind of like it was part three. I used to just save that and come in here Sunday morning and, and brought it in. But, but here, here's the encouragement. If the devil ever tries to tell you that, that your sins are too great or your past is too bad, think about the Jews in spite of Calvary. In spite of the fact that they crucified the Son of God. In spite of the fact that they rejected the Messiah, that their entire law and prophet of everything they believed in was sent, they rejected him. Not did they just reject him and put him on the cross. They rejected him after the resurrection. They rejected him all after the ascension. And then even then on the 50th day when the Holy Ghost came, now they've, they've rejected the Son of God and they've rejected the Holy Spirit whom God sent to, to help us. And God says, it's okay. I'm going to fulfill my promise. I, I'm, I'm going to keep all, in spite of all of their continued rejection, God will honor his promise to the Jews. That that day is coming because God is faithful and God honors all of his promises. They can't be broken. They'll never be broken. Well, it's the same way that God has promises to you and I. No promise can be broken. All, all of God's promises will come to pass. The promise that we have of eternal life, we just sing it when he takes me by the hand, leads me through the promised land. That, that, is my, that is my hope. That is my strength. That is my security. That is a promise that will be fulfilled, the promise of eternal life, the place that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. Where I am, there you may be also. That's a promise. It's a promise that can't be broken. That place is either being prepared or is prepared. I believe it is prepared because it's already in the future. And John saw some things. But, but nonetheless, th those are the promises. But we have promises in this life. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I, I, I will never not be there for you. I will never not strengthen you in the storm. I will never not hold you up in the battle. I will never not be the light. I will never not be the one that protects you and guards you and guides you and keeps you. We, we have promises right now. He will never forget us. Never has and he never will. God cannot, God will not break a promise. It is, it is more possible for you and I right now to flap our arms, fly out those doors, and fly around the world before tomorrow morning than it is for God to break a promise. Anybody want to try flying? You understand God cannot, God will not break his promises. He's true and faithful. Well, Lord willing, we'll, we'll pick up right there um, with, with, with that fact. Paul has never forgotten the Jew. Paul, Paul never we never forget what's close to our heart. They, they were close to his heart, and what is important to us will always matter. God, thank you so much for being so good, God. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for love. Lord, thank you for your long-suffering, your patience with us, God, and how you continue to love us in spite of us. God, I pray, Father, you'd go before us and go with us, God, as we go out these doors. I pray you'd make us usable vessels, Father. 
I pray you'd use us for your glory that somebody might see Christ in us and Christ through us. Lord, we just, we just want to be an example. Father, we just want to do something to make you happy, to make you smile. We just want to be pleasing to our Father. Thank you so much for being so good. Lord, we love you. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want a blessing, don't go home. Go down there and get your kids.